Amen. All right, so we are going to be in Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. Um, as we've been going through, as we've been going through this series, I've just been thinking about, um, I've just been thinking about miracles in, in general, and how I believe um, oftentimes what happens is, is we become uh, maybe maybe you've grown up in church, maybe you've been a, in, in church your whole life, uh, and maybe the things that we've been talking about the last few weeks, and even tonight, the passage that we're going to look at, maybe it's something that's very familiar to you, and you've heard this story. Uh, multiple times you've read the story multiple times and I think there's this danger that we can run across uh, these stories and we can become so familiar with these stories that that we lose sight of just how amazing and awesome uh, they are so this this past weekend we went to me and Suzanne we we went to Tennessee and we were uh, we were there my son got engaged this weekend and so we made a quick trip up there we're able to surprise uh, surprise Sam and uh, she didn't know we were going to be there, but we're in we're in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and so we're in the mountains. and And uh, Suzanne made the comment to me. She said, "I wonder if people here take for granted these mountains, this beautiful view, the same way that we take for granted the Gulf, right?" And, and so maybe for you, like you, you don't think a thing about it. Maybe you drive down the beach and you don't think anything about it. And I know. I know the water's not Florida water, but it's still beautiful. We need to be grateful for, like, we have this unbelievable gift. But the thing is, is we can become so familiar with something because we see it continually. We see it over and over and over again that we don't even see it anymore. And so I don't want us to, to do that tonight. When we approach this passage of Scripture, what, I don't want us to take uh, for granted what's taking place in this passage. I don't want it to become commonplace. And maybe you haven't grown up in church. Maybe this is... You're new to Christianity, and this is all new for you, but when you read words on a page, sometimes it's hard to, to remember, like, this really happened. This, this really happened. And so I just want us to kind of, let's, let's step into the pages of Scripture and just allow God to just enlighten us with, with what we see here in, in Mark chapter 2. So uh, here's what... Uh, one of the things that's been mentioned several times, I know uh, it was mentioned last week, so if you have your listening guide, you can, you can pull it out. The, the real message, and this, this story that we're going to work through tonight is going to illustrate this yet once again. The real message behind Jesus' miracles is to declare to human history that He is God. Pastor Tony made that point last week. And again, we're going to see that play itself out again here tonight. And we're just going to work through, uh, we'll work through this passage. And so in Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported uh, that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. All right, so, and he was preaching the word to them. And so here's, here's what we need to understand. So, so Jesus makes his way back to Capernaum. He's been out and he's been, uh, he's been healing people, and he's been, um, you know, healing demon-possessed people, and he's been preaching the word. If you look up, he's been preaching the word in the synagogues. And so what's happened is, is Jesus has gained a big following. People are hearing about all the things that Jesus is doing. And so, like, there, he's, got, he's got a crowd that's gathered to him, and so he returns to Capernaum, and there's this buzz. Like, everybody wants to be around this Jesus Right? They want to know what this Jesus is all about. They want to see the things that he's doing. So word has traveled, and they're still, you know, they're, they're, 
they want to know. They want to see for themselves. And so what's happened is, is they've gathered in this house and uh, understand that these homes were not very, they weren't very big. And understand, too, that there were people gathered there that have all kinds of motives for, for being there. Some of the people that are in the house are Jesus' closest disciples. Some of them are religious leaders. And they're, they're there specifically because uh, they're threatened. They, they want to they wanna figure out what Jesus is teaching and why so many people are following them and what that's going to, to mean for, for them. There are people there that just want to see Jesus do miracles. There are people there that have heard about his teaching that, that he, no one has ever taught like this. And they want to they hear this man teach. And so all these people are gathered in this house, but everybody that's there can't fit in the house. And so there are people, they're, they're piled out the door. They're looking in the windows. They're standing outside just singing if maybe they can hear what Jesus is saying. And so there's this big crowd. They're, they're out and around the streets. There's a lot going on, okay? And they are crammed in this place like sardines. All right, you get the picture? And so that's what's going on, all right? In verse 3, And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Okay, remember what I said, like, Read this like it's the first time you've ever read it. Let's, let's listen like it's the first time we've ever, we've ever heard. And so understand in those times that, the, that these homes would have flat roofs and there would be these staircases that would go up the side of the house so that you could, access, uh, you could access the roof. And so that's what these friends did. They accessed the roof through the stairs and they took this bold step, which it really is a, a bold step. If you think back to, uh, if you were here last Wednesday, uh, Tony made the, he made the comment or the point that, uh, you know, he, he, we, we all know people that have desperate needs. They are in desperate need of God to move and work. They're in a desperate situation. But that doesn't mean they're desperate. So people, people are in desperate need all the time. But there's a difference between having a desperate need and being, and being desperate. And so the, the story last week proved that point. And tonight it's the same thing. Like there's, these guys are desperate because they're willing to do anything, right? They're willing to, to take the roof off the house so that this guy can get to Jesus. That's somebody who's desperate. Now, and there's a lot going on here. Like, you got to think about it. There, there's a lot going on. But understand this, that these men, their belief that Jesus could make a difference is evident from what they chose to do. They believed that Jesus could make a difference. They believed it. And how do we know that they believed it? Because we have proof right here. What did they do? They took the roof off of a house. Now let's, let's pause here for just a second. Let's talk about something. I give them credit for creativity. Right? I mean, let's talk about it. Hey, we can't get in the house. What do we do? I know. Let's take the roof off, and we'll lower him down and just drop him in Jesus' lap. Now, now we, we can be impressed with that, but I don't, I mean, I wasn't there, so I don't know, but I don't know that the people in that situation were really impressed, especially the homeowner. <laughs> Think about it. If that's your house, you're having a party, 
People can't get in. They're like, okay, we're taking the roof off. You got a problem, right? I got a problem. And I promise you, my wife's got a problem. Like, there's a problem if somebody's taking the roof off the house. And so they would have these clay tiles. If you read the story in Luke, it talks about the fact that uh, they removed the clay tiles. And so understand that um, when they started taking the roof off, remember, everybody's piled in there. Everybody's together. Now imagine if somebody starts cutting the roof, through the roof of your house. What's coming down on top of you? All kinds of stuff. All kinds of stuff. And so people are sitting there, and they are not impressed. They are probably annoyed. Like, what is going on? Like, you should have got here earlier, right? You could have got a front row seat if you'd only gotten here You'd only gotten here early. And so they're probably annoyed with the fact that these guys are making a mess everywhere. And if you own the house, you got a serious problem. But these guys, they're, they're desperate. They're desperate. And their strong concern for their friend and their deep confidence in Jesus' ability to transform him drove them to radical obedience. And when we step out in radical obedience, we're able to see a great big God do great big things. And we all, so oftentimes what happens is, is people just want to play it safe. You know, I'll just wait outside. Maybe when Jesus comes out, when he's done inside, maybe he might pass by us. And we'll just play it safe out here. That's not what they did. It was radical obedience. They're, they're doing something that, that doesn't necessarily make sense to the human mind. They're going to step out and do something, do something bold. And so I, I want to I talk for a minute. I, I know the friends in this story, uh, they are... They're secondary to, uh, to Jesus in this story. They're secondary to the work that, that Christ does and the miracle that he performs and exactly what he, um, what he proclaims. We, we know that they're secondary to that. But there's a principle, I believe, that we need to look at. And here's the principle. We must prioritize friendships with people who are genuinely pursuing Jesus. We must prioritize friendships with people who are genuinely pursuing Jesus. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have people in our lives that don't know the Lord. That, that is 100% true. We need to have people in our lives that we're building relationships for the sole purpose of the gospel to go forward. But it's important that we're careful about the people that we allow uh, in our inner circle of, of influence. All right? And so what these guys cared about is they were willing to do anything to get their friend to Jesus. So it tells us something about the friends that this guy had. They were willing to, to do anything to get, to get him to Jesus. And so the people that we surround ourselves with are either leading us toward or away from Jesus. One of the two. The people that we surround ourselves with, the people that we allow to influence us in our lives, they're either pushing us towards Christ or they're pulling us away from Christ. Uh, one of the, you know, one of my favorite verses, um, you know, especially I guess because you know I've been in student ministry for so long, uh, but it is it is so true. It is true in a teenager's life. It's a true in my life. It's true in your life. But Proverbs thirteen twenty says, "Whoever walks with the wise." becomes wise but the companion of fools will suffer harm that that we got to be careful about the people that we allow in our inner circle of of influence 
And so my question for us tonight is, do you have, do you have people in your life that are pushing you towards Jesus? That are pushing you towards Jesus? That are propelling you, that are challenging you, that, you know, that are encouraging you to, to know God more, to love God more, to pursue God more. To, to serve him with greater commitment. Like, do you have people in your life that are pushing you towards Jesus and the godliness that he desires for you? Like, we got to have that. We need, like, God didn't call us to this thing alone. Like, we, we can't do it by ourselves. We need other people to help us along the, to help us along the way. We need people that are going to move below the surface and have conversations with us that, that are, that are sometimes hard, but but really out of love and, and loving us, us well and conversations that push us and conversations that press us and conversations that we need. We don't always want, but conversations that we, we need. And the opposite of this is true because the second half of Proverbs 13 says, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. I, um, so it was last year I was doing a, I was, we were studying through Colossians on, on Wednesday nights and we were coming to the end of Colossians and uh, and Paul's you know he's talking about all these people that have had just great influence in his life and you get a picture of the people that Paul surrounded himself with and uh, and so I made uh, you know I, I'm, I posed the question uh, to the students I said are you uh, because your friends will they'll tell you a lot about yourself and they'll indicate some things in your life and I said uh, so are you running with a bunch of morons because you need to look around and you need to you need to investigate your friends. You need to see like what. And so I remember asking that question. And uh, so Cameron, uh, Tony's youngest son, is sitting on the end of the row. And there's a whole row. And at this time they were in seventh grade. There's a whole row of, of seventh graders. And that, that bunch that moved up, that bunch, they're a handful. I'm just telling you. All right, so they're in eighth grade now. They're growing up. But I'm just telling you, man, when they came up, they... They brought life to the youth ministry, okay? And so, uh, and so I asked a question. I said, you know, like, let's, let's take a look. Like, look around at your friends because they'll tell you a lot about what you need to know. And I said, are you running with morons? And Cameron does this. I mean, literally, it's a whole row. You know, Noah Davis, Matt's son is in that group. Caleb, uh, Chip. I mean, there's, there's a whole just, you know, Hillel, Griffin. I mean, there's just a whole bunch. So, so Cameron looks down the line like this. At all these guys. And he hangs his head. <laughs> and he just shakes it. And I lose it. I come unglued. I'm supposed to be preaching, but I'm like, and in that moment I had to I had to kind of pause. I had to say, okay, time out. Let's not have unrealistic unrealistic expectations. They Cameron, they're in the seventh grade, okay? Like it's you know, you, but you get the point. And so, like, but it, but it's good for us to do an evaluation of the people that we uh, spend the majority of our time with. Who is it that's in that? Who is it that's in that in that circle? Are you running with a bunch of morons? Nobody look to your left or right. Okay, we'll just keep that between us, your eyes and your facial expression. Um, but it's true. Like, uh, who we surround ourselves with will tell us a lot about our ourselves too like if you think about it you, the old saying birds of a feather yeah so so if if you're surrounded by a bunch of spiritually immature people who aren't really serious about following Jesus 
I mean, you, you see what I'm saying? So it's important for us to kind of do some, do some evaluation. All right? So in Mark, uh, in verse 5, and when Jesus, because this illustrates the point, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Think about it, like Jesus lumps them together. He puts them all in the same category, right? He says because of their faith, not because of the paralytic's faith, not because of the friend's faith, because of their faith. And there's this idea that, hey, they're all on the same path pursuing the same thing. And so, like, we want to make sure that we're following the example that we, that we see in Scripture here. And so we must be careful who we allow to have influence in our lives we've got to it is so important it is so important it's so important for us it's it's important for our families maybe you have maybe you have young kids maybe you have teenagers I'm just telling you um you know I'm not saying it's the most important thing because I believe that the way that you leverage your influence in your kid's life is just as important as this but I'm just telling you you better be very very careful about who you allow into the inner circle of your children's lives you need to be very, very careful. It is, it is extremely important. And, and you, it's your responsibility to guide that and to nurture that and to steer that and to make sure that you, that you don't just let them go wherever with whoever. That's, it's our responsibility as parents. And so we need to be very careful. It's, it's true for us. It's true for our children. It's true for, uh, it's true for everybody. It's true for everybody. Um, and it's equally important that we, again, what I just said, it's equally important that we leverage our influence in the lives of those around us for the kingdom. Which causes us to ask the question, not only who are we allowing to influence us, but how are we leveraging our influence in the lives of the people around us? What kind of, what kind of friend are you? Are you the kind of friend who takes the roof off of a house to get to Jesus for your friend or get your friend to Jesus? Is that the kind of friend that we are, that we'll go to any length to make sure that we're doing whatever it takes to, to point people and to steer people and to push people towards, towards Christ? And lastly, before we, we move on to the next point, these men, their faith is evident not only in what they believed about Jesus, but also in what they based on that belief. Again, what do they do? We can say we believe, but, but really, like, what is it that we do with what we know to be true? They believed it to be true, and that led to, to impacting what they, what they did. What they did. All right. We'll pick back up in verse, um, we'll pick up back up in verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his own spirit that they questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and take up your bed and walk? So there's a there's a lot going on right here. But understand, the religious leaders, they are furious. This isn't just an audacious claim. This is blasphemy. Because they're right. Jesus is claiming. He's not saying, hey, the Lord can forgive your sins. He says, your sins are forgiven. 
that I, I have the authority to do that. And they understand that, that there's no one that has that authority except for God and God alone. And so when Jesus makes this statement, they are, they are upset. And, and then Jesus says, okay, well, um, you know, there's like miracles within miracles in this story. But like the fact that Jesus is reading their mind, okay, let's not miss that. He knows the intentions in the heart of man. And so he's sitting there, and he understands exactly what they're thinking. And he's like, okay, you're right. But while you're contemplating that, that God is the only one that can forgive sins, here's something else for you to ponder. Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise up and take your bed and walk? Which is a great question. Like, which is easier? Is it easier to... Say your sins are forgiven. I mean, I, it is easier because you can't prove or disprove the fact that somebody's sins are forgiven, right? It's easier to say it. It's way harder to do it because it was very, very costly for Christ to, to offer this man forgiveness for his sin. But, but this idea that, hey, like, that this guy could actually physically get up and walk because one is difficult to prove or disprove, but one is instantly verifiable. Agree? And so, um, now, again, I want to I point out that it's saying your sins are forgiven. Actually, anybody can say that, but there's only one that actually can, can do that. Right? And so, uh, his sins being forgiven was, Jesus knew the cost that would come with that when he, when he said it. And so, we have a group of people that are very upset with what's going on. And again, I, I, you know, it's partly because, hey, I believe that they uh, believe that it's blasphemous. But they didn't show up to this, to this house open-minded about really searching and seeing what, what Jesus is all about. And whether he really was who he said he was. And, like, they didn't show up with an open mind. They had their preconceived ideas when they showed up. And, and so they're just looking for something. They're looking for something to hang him on. Like, that's what they're, that's what they're doing. And, and so... Um, they're upset. And again, like I said before, like they're threatened. Jesus poses a threat to everything that they know and love. 100%. But stop and think about, there's another group of people in this story. What about, what about the four men and the paralytic? Did they show up that day? Did they take the roof off the house so that Jesus would tell this guy, your sins are forgiven. What do you think they're feeling in that moment? Think they're excited? Yes! Or do you think maybe they're a little disappointed? Like, we had our ideas about what we wanted Jesus to do when we showed up today. We showed up so that he could walk out of here. Not so that his sins could be, could be forgiven. And so, you know, I, I don't know, but if you just stop and think about it, you have to think that maybe, you know, maybe they were a little, maybe they were a little startled by what Jesus said. I, I mean, I'm sure everybody was startled, but again, like, they've heard this guy can, like, he can clean the leper. He can, he can raise the paralytic. Like, that's why they're there. That's why they went to the length that they went, went to. They probably had... A lot of questions, right? They hadn't come to Jesus so that their friend could be forgiven. 
But that didn't stop Jesus from doing what he did. That didn't stop him. See, they had come with a very clear idea of what they wanted Jesus to do. And, if we're honest, that's what a lot of people do today. Right? It's, and here, here's the thing. Like, it would, you know, it would have been great to be paralysis-free, but it's even better to be guilt-free. But, but they, you know, I, I don't know. Did they, did they see that in the moment? Did they know that in the moment? Like, do they understand the weight of what Jesus has just offered this man? Because here's the thing. His greatest need was not the most obvious one. And oftentimes, that's the same thing. The same thing's true for us. And so here's this man. And he probably showed up that day. And when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, or even as they're going along the way, and these guys are carrying him down the road, and they're just talking. They're like, man, wouldn't it be awesome if you walked home tonight? Wouldn't it be great? Like, and this guy's probably thinking, like, you know, if only I could walk. Man, if I could walk, if I could just be like everybody else. If I didn't have this, this problem, this looming problem in my life, man, I'd be fine. I'd be good. Life would be great. And so he's banked everything on the fact that I just, I just want to walk. I just want to walk. And he showed up, and then Jesus offers him something else. And I just wonder, like, but what about us? What about, what about us? What if maybe you feel like, I just have this, this huge problem in my life. I feel like I, I don't have any control over this. I feel like, like if, if I just didn't have this, gosh, I'd be, I'd be fine. I would be good. If, if, I had, if, I, if I had this job, if I had this, this career, if, if only this relationship, this relationship is such a mess in my life, then I just want it to be restored. If things would be, and, and, and we just want all these, all these things to be, uh, to be right in our, in our life. And so I, I mean, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's physical, maybe it's relational, maybe it's, I don't know, but here's the thing. You know what I'm talking about. There are things in your life where you're like, this thing right here is going to be the death of me. And if only this thing would be gone, then I would be good. And Jesus is saying, that is not your greatest need. That's not your greatest need. It's not our greatest need. We'll never be satisfied apart from Christ. We will never be satisfied. And so whatever it is that you think that problem is, or that relationship is, or that job is, or that house is, or that car is, or that whatever, you just fill in the blank. Whatever you, whatever addiction is, whatever you, whatever you think that is, once you get there, you will not be satisfied because those things will never satisfy. The only thing that has the ability to satisfy us is Christ and Christ alone. All right? Here's our, our, next, uh, our next principle. And this is something that you've heard many times from this platform. And you will hear many times again. Jesus always prioritized the important over the urgent. He didn't ever confuse the two of those. He always was laser focused on the important. And what we need to do is we need to model ourselves after Christ. Because the truth is, is we often confuse the urgent with the important. And it's to our own peril and the peril of others around us. 
So what are we talking about? What do, what do, we, what do I mean when I say the, the important over the urgent? What, what is it? it? Here's what it is. It's tempting to bow to that which seems most important in the instant. Right? There's something that comes in and like, oh my gosh, like I have to do this thing. I have to take care of this thing. Like this thing or somebody else's problem. This, this, this crazy thing. And it's like, okay, well, I have, to, I have to bow to whatever it is. Or maybe, maybe it's just a schedule. And it's just this constant rat race of hurrying from one thing to the next. Maybe it's your calendar and it's just the, the next thing on your calendar. I, look, I'm, I am speaking from, like I've been there. I get it. I still have to... I still have to remind myself of this because the truth is, is if I'm not careful, my calendar's full. My, my days are full. I've got a long list of things. And if I'm not careful, all I'm doing is chasing all the things that I've got to do every day. And I lay my head on the pedal, pillow and go, where'd the day go? And then guess what? Get back up early the next day and then we're right back at it and right back at it. And we're constantly going, 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 going. And we're passing over the important for the urgent, for the thing that's most pressing in our life. Whatever's most pressing in the moment, whatever season it is, whatever thing it is, whatever, uh, whatever you know, catastrophe it is, like whatever it is. And, and look, this is a big deal. Uh, this guy's paralyzed. And he shows up and Jesus is like, that's not your greatest need. I'm not going to get sidetracked here. I'm not going to get sideways. I'm not going to, that's not your greatest, your greatest need. We've got to be continually reminded about what is most important. And again, he didn't ignore <clears throat> he didn't ignore the physical need. He addressed it. But Jesus always understood that the people's needs are spiritual. Their greatest needs, our greatest needs, they're spiritual. They always have been and they always they always will be. All right, verse 10. Jesus continues, like, so we'll back up to verse 9. Uh, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose immediately, picked up his bed, and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. So there's, there's a few things going on as we kind of end this passage here. But the, the overarching thing that I want to address is that Jesus' healing power was a giant neon sign pointing to his divine authority. That's what Jesus says. He says, so that you may know that the Son of Man, which is another messianic statement there. He's, he's pointing back to Daniel saying, hey, remember, remember in Daniel where he's talking about the Son of Man and the Messiah? He says, so that the Son of Man has the authority. And so he says, uh, so that you may know that the Son of Man has the uh, authority to forgive sins. He says, rise, take up your bed and walk. And so we go back to the statement at the beginning, like that, that Jesus, like his miracles were evidence of his authority and his divine deity and the fact that he was God. And so he's like, hey, this points to the reality and the truth that what I'm saying is 100% true. It's not blasphemy. 
It's not blasphemy for me to claim that I'm God. Let me show you. Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And, and, and so uh, in Luke, the passage in Luke says that this guy was like, he went he, on his way home, he was glorifying God. I, I just was thinking today as I was studying, I was thinking, what was that like? Like how did, and, and, and let me go back to the fact too that uh, we've made this, We've made this point, uh, Pastor Tony made it last week, and it's so important so that you don't buy into false teaching, that this man's healing, was it, is, it was instant and it was complete. It was instant and it was complete. And you see that in Scripture, everywhere in Scripture. It's not like uh, he says, rise, take up your bed and walk. He's like, okay, well, I'm not paralyzed anymore, but, I mean, atrophy is set in, and so it's going to take me a little bit of time. Can you give me a hand, you know, can we kind of, no. He hops up and he heads home glorifying God. What does that mean? Does that mean he's running? Does that mean like his, his four friends that were with him, he's like, I'll beat you to the house. You, you know what I mean? Does that mean he's skipping? Is he dancing? Does he stop along the way and like just tell him like, I, I showed up at that house paralyzed and I am running home. Like what was that moment like? He is, he is going home glorifying God. This is a... This is a big deal. This is a big deal. But the most shocking thing is, so I, like, that's what I'm saying, like don't, don't miss the unbelievable miracles that's being done here. But the most shocking thing is that the, the Son of God is standing before a sinful man and he's offering forgiveness for sins. He's offering eternity with him. And he's willing to pay the price in order for him to, to achieve, to have that. So like, that is the most remarkable thing here as he addresses, again, addresses his greatest need. So, um, just a few, a few takeaways for, for tonight. One, we must keep the main thing the main thing. We have to keep the main thing the main thing. And that's what that's what Jesus does here. Jesus, and that's what he does everywhere. As you read through scripture, like Jesus continually keeps the main thing the main thing. And, and the problem is, is we get so distracted. We get distracted in the world that we live in. We, we, we get off course. And we, that's why it's so important that we, you know, well, well let's talk about why it's so important. How, like, how do, we, how do we do that? How do you keep the main thing the main thing? Try harder. Okay, I'm going to focus. When a paralyzed guy comes up to me, I'm going to remember greatest need is spiritual. I can remember when we went to, uh, uh, me and Tim and Elizabeth, we went to the Dominican last year and we were just going on a vision trip and we went into Haiti and I can remember the poverty. I saw poverty like I've never seen before. And uh, I can remember us <clears throat> talking after after we went into Haiti, I'm like, you know, their greatest need, like, that's not their greatest problem. It's a spiritual issue. Their greatest need is Christ. And so we can offer them all the luxuries that we have, and it still wouldn't meet their greatest need. And so how do we continually keep that before us? Like, how do we keep the main thing the main thing? So back right after... You know, right after the pandemic hit, which we all love talking about. But there, you know, there's some good things that have, 
you know, come out of the, the conversation. And one of the things that we really pressed into as, as a uh, pastoral staff and, and things that we've really wanted to communicate to you over and over again is that we, uh, we must prioritize being before doing. So how do we keep the main thing the main thing? So many of us, we just want to charge off into doing these things. And what happened when everything shut down and we weren't allowed to do anything? There's a lot of people that didn't know what to do. They, they didn't know what to do with their faith. They didn't know what to, because when had they ever just, just was, were with God? Just spent time with God. Not all the things that we do for God. And I'm not saying those things are bad, but we got to figure out how to be with God. When we figure out how to be with God, then we figure out how to do and keep the main thing the main thing. And we can look at, you know, we can look at our time, and, and let's just be honest, we live in a very busy culture. It is nonstop. It is nonstop. We are, you know, we hit the ground running in the morning, and then we fall, just fall into bed at night. And we're constantly just chasing and going and this and that and something. It just seems like it's just a continual, continual thing. But let me just, let, let's just stop for just a minute and, and remember who we're talking about here. We're talking about Jesus. And I promise you, there's nobody in this room that was busier than Jesus. There's nobody in this room that had more people flocking to him continually, that wanted his attention, that wanted him to do for them, that wanted him to heal them, wanted them to cast out this demon, wanted them to, to teach them. Wanted, like, it was just continual. In Luke chapter 5, and this is just one, this is just one place, in Luke chapter 5, um, says, but now even more, the report about him went abroad, and the great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would what? He would withdraw to a desolate places and pray. He understood the value of being with his father. He understood how it was out of that that everything else would flow. That's that's how Jesus was able to keep the main thing the main thing. That's how he was able to recognize. I mean, he was God too. But, um, but the point is, is that like it was this continual. Like he was. If Jesus has to do this, if Jesus is living out this principle of being with the Father before doing for the Father, then we ought to take note. And so before we before we leave our house in the morning, we need to. We need to learn how to be before we go and do. Or we, we need to learn how to be in order to even understand what it is that God wants us to do. It, and so it's so important for us to, to recognize this. An impactful life in the world can only flow from a deep inner life with God. I, I, I would go out on a limb here and say that every single person in this room, you wouldn't be here tonight, maybe you got drug here, I don't know. But I would say, okay, maybe not everybody, but the majority of the people in this room, like you want to you live a life that makes an impact for the kingdom or you wouldn't be here. Well, how do we do that? Well, it starts with this deep inner life with God. It starts with, with being with God because you can't give what you don't possess. You can't. 
It, it's just you're just going to be spinning your wheels. You're going to be you're going to be giving from an empty tank. We can't give what we don't what we don't possess. And so, if we want to make an impact on the lives of other people, then that can only flow from a deep inner life with God. This is going to be a mouthful, but it's good. All right. And I wanted you to go home with it on your paper. All right, prioritizing being means rejecting busyness and hurry to reorient our entire life around relationship with Jesus and then following him wherever he leads. We need to reorient everything around our relationship with Christ. And when we place priority on being with him, and we'll be able to see the world as he sees it. We'll be able to love the world the way he loves the world. We'll be more interested in his will as opposed to our will. We'll be more interested in his agenda over our agenda. But, but we've got to prioritize that. And, and, and we can't do the opposite of what these four guys did in this story. They believed something to the point where they were ready to rip the roof off the house. So are you desperate? Here's the question. It goes back to last week. Are you desperate for this? Are you desperate to live a life that's going to make a tremendous kingdom impact in this world? Are you desperate for that? Because if, if we're desperate for that, then we're going to leave out of here and we're going to do something with what we now know, right? We're going we're gonna to learn how to desperately be with God depending upon Him for everything, Knowing that it's the only way we're going to do the things that he's called us to do and be the people he's called us to be. If we are content and we are really good at being with God and then we do out of that. That is, that is how, it's going to, it's going, how it's going to happen. And so the question is, is are we desperate? Are we just in desperate need and we're not willing to be desperate? Because here's the thing. I'm guessing because we are so busy and we are so hurried, something else may have to go. Something urgent may have to go for something else that's important. And there are things in our life that they're not bad. They may even be good things. But we're constantly pursuing those things, and we don't leave ourselves any time or any room or any margin to, to be with God. And so we allow ourselves to be busy. We allow ourselves to be hurried. We were at, uh, so we took the students to camp this uh this summer and they were talking about you know it's always a hot topic social media and um you know all the effects of social media and i've you know i've read all the books i've listened to all the podcasts and um you know they were talking about how and maybe maybe you don't know this but the average person their screen time not just phone i mean you can look on your phone and see what that is but the average screen time between tv computers videos phone is around nine hours a day um, and it's really not that much different for teenagers and adults, so don't say, ah, teenagers. It's really not all that much difference. But one of the points that, that they made in that breakout, and I think it's a very valid point, but one of the points they made is it's not just what you're doing. There's a, that's directly, you know, like you're being directly impacted by what you're watching and what you're doing, but you're being indirectly impacted by what you're giving up in those eight to nine hours. And so we got to see, like, hey, this is, this is not just, 
affecting me by what I'm doing with my time, but it's affecting me by what I'm not doing with my time. And so we, the question goes back to, are we, are we desperate? Do we, really, do we really want this? Then we got to be willing to do um, whatever it takes. We slow down to be with Jesus so we can offer our life as a gift to the world for him. We slow down. And, and, and let's just be honest. It, it, it's hard for me too, especially when I have a full day. It's hard because, golly, I got all these things I need to do. I got all these things I need to do. And there's that temptation just to say, hey, all right, I'm just going to, I'm going to set this aside today because I got all these things that I need to do. But when we slow down to be with Jesus, then we can offer up a life that's going to make an impact on the world, that's going to be a gift to the people around us for Christ. And then going back to our conversation. So that's, that's how we keep the main thing the main thing. We learn that we have to prioritize being over overdoing. That's, that's how we do it. But let's, let's go back to the conversation regarding, regarding friends. Who are you allowing to leverage influence in your life? Like, I, I hope tonight, number one, you, you leave here thinking about, okay, am I desperate or am I just in desperate need? How bad do I really want to make an impact? And it's not just to barrel out the door and go do all these things. But again, the way we're able to see the world the way God calls us to see, the way we're able to love the world the way God calls us to love, the way we're able to make the kingdom impact that he wants us to make, it's by spending time with him. That, that we get so familiar with his voice that as we go about our day, that we're just, we're hearing and walking in obedience. We're hearing and we're walking in obedience. And how do, we, how do we know his voice? Because we've spent time with him. How do we know what people's greatest needs are? Because we've spent time with him. Like, how do we know? Because we've been with Christ. We've been with Christ. But also what can take place is, is we got to be careful about who we're allowing to leverage influence in our life. Because we can get distracted when we don't keep the main thing, but we can also get distracted when we allow people who are not on the same path as us to speak into our lives. And we can think that, oh, well, life is about this, and if I only had that, and if I only did that, and if I only did what they did, and we allow them to, to give advice to us, and, and so we're not, and we're pursuing two totally different things, and we think, okay, well, they're not influencing us, but, but are they really? Well, Either they are or they aren't. Either God's word is true or God's word is not true. And so we want to make sure that we have people in our life that are constantly pushing us, that are, that are willing to rip the roof off the house to lower us down to Christ. And let me just be clear. We're going to need people in our life. There are going to be times where we need people like that in our lives because we're not capable of doing it on our own. You know what that paralytic could do on his own? Nothing. 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 And there are going to be times in your life, and there are going to be times in my life where I'm capable of nothing. And I need people to, my, my buddies, my friends, my, these deep relationships, godly people who are going to say, hey, we're coming by, we're picking you up, we're loading you up, and we're going to drop you through the roof and lower you to Jesus because that's what you need. 
It's not necessarily what you want. You think you want something else. You think that if you have this, this will be great. You think if you do this, this will be great. But this is what you need. This is what you need. And so we need to evaluate our lives. Like, who has influence Who has influence in our lives? Who are we allowing to leverage influence in our lives? And then lastly, how are you leveraging your influence in the lives of others? How are you leveraging your influence in the lives of others? Man, I was just thinking, uh, there's so many different things that we could have a conversation with here. Parents in the room. Like, how are you leveraging your time with your kids? Are you just a taxi service or are you something more? Because God's called you to something more. And I've just been thinking about, uh, I've been thinking about, we're about to, we're about to have um, our child dedication coming up soon. And I've just been thinking about the ways that, the ways that we can do that as, as parents. Um, one, we can model that for our children. Right? We can model what it means to, to live out a godly life. We can show them what it means to spend time being with Jesus. We can model that before them. We can schedule time in, in the midst of our crazy lives. Maybe it's like, hey, we're going to schedule this. We're going to, like, every Sunday night. You know, one of the reasons why we don't have service on Sunday nights is for family discipleship. That, that's one of the main reasons that we don't have, so that you can... You can schedule something in so that there's, there's margin in your life to walk with your children, to leverage your influence in their life, to do those things. Maybe, maybe it's just your friends. Maybe it's the people around you. It's like, okay, like, I, I really don't, I don't leverage my influence really the way that I should in, in the people's lives around me. I don't, I don't have these deep, meaningful conversations. I'm content with staying on the surface. I'm, man, your friends, your family, this family, like we need each other. They need you. They need us to be those kinds of friends, to leverage that kind of influence. And so we got to be willing to, to be that for the people around us. And what a, what a wonderful passage of scripture and so many things that we can learn from this passage and take home really begin to put in in practice in our lives but remember don't don't leave here tonight and just think about all the things you got to do we do from a place of being we've got to be with god before we can do for god we have to at least if we're going to live the life he's called us to and make the impact that he's he has for us so let me pray